guys. Welcome to Relatable. Happy Friday. Hope everyone has had a wonderful week. Today, I'm going to be talking to Stu Bergier of Blaze TV about the fraud allegations and where we think this election is headed. If anywhere, we're going to be talking about Georgia and some of the lawsuits that are going on there. Before we get into the conversation, I would love to make a request to you guys. If you love this show, it would mean so much to me if you would leave uh, a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out a lot. Uh, you don't have to put you know, a lengthy reason for why you love the show, although that does mean a lot to me. But if you could just give us a five-star review, um, that really does help out Relatable Thank you guys so much for listening. All of your encouragement and support. I do this exclusively. Well, exclusively for the for the glory of God. That is my goal and my desire anyway. But I love learning with you guys and talking with you guys and doing this show with and for you guys. So thank you so much for listening and thank you for your support. Without any further ado, here is Stu Bergier. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So today we're going to talk about the allegations of fraud that have been going on in the election. You've been following this closely. You've been talking a lot about it on Glenn's show, on your own show. Can you give us uh, the most up-to-date update that you have on the litigation, on the hearings that involve the, the accusations of fraud in different states? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's it's a, a very challenging proposition for the Trump campaign, uh, and they've been trying to go after because it's not just one state where they need to overturn multiple states to actually make a difference. Um, I think we can look at all of this and say there definitely was fraud at some level. I mean, there definitely were things that were weird. There were things that were against the rules that were done. Uh, the question is, like, what are some of those things? You know, a, a lot of it had to do with with observers. So, in, in some ways, it can be encouraging to look at it this way, and you see um, how many fail safes there are in the election process. Like, they're supposed to be uh, Republicans and Democrats there to watch all these votes. So, when there's questionable ballots, uh, someone can look at, at at you know from each side and say, yes, we agree that was a vote for Trump. Yes, we agree that was a vote for Trump, and it goes through the process in yeah. that way. A lot of it had to do with the way Republican uh, poll watchers were treated. Observers were treated poorly. They were mocked at times. Everything from mocking to not being you know like they're able to. Uh, watch the process, but they're watching it from, from 20 feet away, away yeah. where they can't see any of the details of the ballots. And often the excuse was, well, COVID. I mean, you know. And, then, and where was where was that happening? Uh, it happened in uh, Pennsylvania. It was one of the, again, this is what was accused. Uh, right. Michigan was, it was, there was talked about a lot in those states, that particular um, uh, uh, question. Um, you know, there was questions about ballots that uh, would be cured or not. So the idea is like, if you, let's say you, you cast a ballot, there's a problem with it. Can the government call you up and say, hey, uh, you, you you checked three boxes for president. This ballot's not going to count. Do you want to fix this? Um, that is a process that's pretty rare, but does happen. It did not happen in every county in Pennsylvania, though. Uh, so some people, if you lived in one county, you were not able to do that. If you lived in another county, you were. Uh, and the counties where they were allowing the curing of the ballots seemed to be Democratic counties. Again, small number of votes, but something that should be uh, looked at. And I think that's why you kind of have to look at all of these accusations in sort of two different buckets. One is, if you go look back to that press conference from a couple of weeks ago, Rudy Giuliani was making a lot of claims of that nature, right? Where there would be people who said, ah, 
this doesn't look right, or this rule may have been bent, um, but it was smaller numbers of ballots. Um, wouldn't necessarily overturn the election, but still really important to look at. On the other side, you had kind of the Sidney Powell approach, which was to accuse, uh, make accusations of widespread systemic fraud, m multiple millions of votes switching sides from one to another. And you saw kind of uh, less evidence to those claims, but those would be the types of claims that could potentially overturn the result, or at least from where we understand it right now. And does it seem like the Trump team and Sidney Powell, who's not technically part of the Trump team, but is fighting this battle in a different way, uh, do they seem confident that not only there was fraud, obviously they're pretty confident in that, but that it is enough to be decisive in this election? Yeah, that's that's the big question, right? And and what's been interesting about it is a lot a lot of the focus on social media and talk shows and stuff has been like, are you supporting the president, or are you are you staying on board and questioning these results? Right. And I keep saying to people, look. We can't social media this election into existence. We can't. We can't talk show a second term for Donald Trump. We're not going to be able to do it in those uh, on those fronts. This has to happen in the courts. And so we've talked to uh, all of the main attorneys uh, in these cases. Many other people who have been used as witnesses. Other uh, people who have been involved in this process. And very consistently throughout, they've communicated us to us two things. One, that they have enough evidence to be able to overturn the election results. And two, they understand the time constraints and will be able to prove it in court. And to me, if you are looking for this to be overturned, that should give you the ultimate amount of confidence. They are telling us 100% they're going to do it, and they're going to do it with the restrictions they know exist. Now, we are now several weeks later, and this is a difficult thing. It's asking a lot uh, of, of these attorneys to be able to do this. And, you know... One of the things I think you can be a little worried about if you're if you're looking for that result is this: if you believe the sort of um, Sidney Powell approach, uh, where you're talking about multiple millions of votes in a system that is so impossibly corrupt, especially I, in somewhere like Georgia, mm -hmm, right? Like mm -hmm. that's where she's focusing. She's saying the Dominion voting systems, yeah, are basically corrupt or they didn't work, and yep. she argues that they turned over millions of votes, M millions correct? Of votes over multiple states. If you have a system like that, it's hard to imagine that system is going to allow you to overturn the results when you question it, right? I mean, you're talking about a system that's so ingrained with corruption in that circumstance that it would be a really heavy lift for these attorneys to do that. They have expressed confidence, but obviously as time is running out, I think it's December 9th where these kind of the electoral votes sort of kind of get locked and then on the 14th they become official. So you're talking about a little bit over, you know, what a week um, in that circumstance. Um, you know, it's tough. The, the Dominion thing is is a very, it's, it's in some ways unfalsifiable. Mm. Um, you can't really, you're never going to know for sure it didn't happen. I know we talked to Barry Loudermilk. He's a congressman from uh, Georgia, and mm -hmm. he's worked very hard over the past few years on election uh, law and, and trying to make sure that these things, there is some, some level of security. So the Dominion uh, machines they have in Georgia have a couple of, of functions to them. You go in, you press your button for your, your candidate, it spits out a paper ballot. You as the voter look at that paper ballot and you are able to confirm that it actually cast the vote the way that you believe it did. You then put it through the system and there's a, hand, there's a paper ballot record of all of this. So that's when they did this paper ballot um, recount. And so there is a layer there that it, that that hopefully, you know, gets you some sort of certainty. When they went through and cast, uh, cl collected those votes, they found some votes for Donald Trump. I mean, it was a, you know, eight or 900 or maybe a thousand votes. Um, there was over a few thousand that were not counted. 
really glad they found them. Yeah. It wasn't quite enough in a close state of like Georgia uh, to, to overturn the number, but at least they had that paper ballot record. Um, in Pennsylvania, there are some Dominion machines as well, um, but they were not in uh, Philadelphia or Pittsburgh, which were the two main areas. Right. They were talking about this fraud occurring. And actually, Trump did better than expected in Philadelphia. In, this, in the counties where, uh, Donald, where they used Dominion voting machines in Pennsylvania, Trump won 52% of the vote. So he actually won those counties. Yeah. Um, it's tough because, you know, there's a lot of layers to this, but it's like Republicans overall did actually pretty well in the right. election. Uh, so uh, there's, there's those two sort of buckets where like the, the Sidney Powell stuff, and you've seen the Trump administration and the campaign distance themselves from Powell and some of the claims that they're making mm-hmm. um, because they're sort of widespread. And some of them, I mean, some of them are provably not true. Some of them are just unfalsifiable, so you never will know. Yeah. Where Giuliani has tried to focus more on these things where you have actual witnesses and depositions it's just a question of is that going to be enough to turn over anything yeah which i support the pursuit of of truth and election Mm -hmm. integrity even if it's if it's not decisive but i have been surprised just at the amount of confidence that it seems like a a lot of people have that it will be decisive that what Sidney powell is doing in georgia for example is going to change the results of the election at least at least there and that this is going to be proven a systemic widespread problem and that donald trump really will uh become the president i said a few weeks ago my husband and i went to georgia to visit family i said you know this seems different. I used to live in Georgia. My husband grew up in Georgia. Obviously, it's been a pretty red state, but we drove from uh, the northwest to the northeast. We were in Atlanta, and I thought, this feels blue. This looks blue. Mm. In rural places in Georgia where you don't expect to see Biden signs, there were Biden Kamala signs. Where we were was a blue area, and we knew that, and so that was expected, but it was even even more than typical. I mean, there were BLM signs, there were, you know, defund the police movements there. And even in the rural areas around that, there were a lot of Biden signs. And that was just a feeling. But I said that on election night that I wouldn't be surprised if Georgia went blue. And I got all this hate on on (laughs) Twitter saying, you know, that's where did you go? That's so crazy. And so when it looked like Georgia you know, was going blue, I wasn't surprised. Now, I'm not saying that my anecdote is definitive proof that there wasn't fraud in Georgia, but I'm not so surprised that I'm going to say this has to be cheating in order for Georgia to go blue, because it seemed likely to me just from my own personal experience. Yeah. And look, I'm totally with you that the fraud stuff needs to be looked into. And yeah. You need to know, like, even if, if we find out that millions of votes switched hands, we probably don't really have a country anymore. Like, our election system is so... yeah out of whack and it's going to be difficult to maintain a republic in that scenario right. but i still want to know the truth right i want to yeah. know the truth either way um but i mean it, what actually wound up happening in the recorded vote is not all that far out of line as to what we kind of expected to happen when looking at polling um you know you point out georgia and i remember you saying that on election night and it's true i mean it, it it's been look this has been a purple state for the last couple of elections kemp barely won uh, you know, and, uh, Stacey Abrams almost won that election. Yeah, she was kind of radical for a Democrat. She wasn't, yeah. you know, like just a moderate Democrat. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and and we've seen that. Uh, we've seen Georgia moving in a big way. Yeah. And this has been predicted for a long time. Now, I think we 
we get resistant to those things because they say it about Texas too, right? And Texas was a, a, a relatively comfortable margin, a bigger margin than Cruz over Beto. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of these times, these things, the media likes to hype that narrative, right. but it seems to be pretty real in Georgia. Um, you know, you look at Pennsylvania again, and I used to live in, in Pennsylvania in Bucks County, which is a suburb of, of Philadelphia. And a lot of people talked about sort of the, the potential fraud about Philadelphia where Actually, Trump did better than than he did in 2016 in Philadelphia. But the entire margin of that election, as recorded today, uh, is more than compensated for in the switch in votes in these suburban counties. White suburban counties moved not in not intensely, but enough against yeah. Trump in these counties to uh, to change the actual result. I mean, you know, I think 30, 38, 38 states have been certified so far, and you look at that 38 states. And you see a really consistent pattern, about a three and a half point move from 2016 to 2020 from uh, Trump to, you know, Trump versus Clinton to Trump versus Biden to go to the Democrats. That Trump actually did better in swing states than the average in most cases. Georgia was an exception to that. But in Pennsylvania, in fact, his best state uh, in the entire union outside of Utah, which was kind of weird because of third party situation in 2016 was Florida, which is, you know, one of the most important swing states. Mm -hmm. Um, He did really well in Florida and actually improved on his margins from 2016 there. So you look at it, you don't see anything that at the end of the day would look that abnormal as to what was expected. Right. Trump outperformed his polls a little bit in most places. Uh, But at the end of the day, you're talking about an election that was really freaking close. Uh, And Trump almost won as recorded vote. Again, we'll talk about that other fraud stuff as we go. But it's like he came really close in an impossible situation in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of a, you know, a very, uh, very visceral media against him for four years. He was able to do really well and kept it very close. It's a very close election. And he did really well among minority voters, Mm -hmm. which, of course, Democrats would have said, well, we have those in the bag. And I actually watched Joe Biden's campaign. I felt like, uh, you know, if I if I weren't a conservative, I would have been the target of a lot of Joe Biden's campaign because they were really working hard to reach out to that white suburban mom, to reach out to the evangelical Christian and to say this is the normal candidate, the faith filled candidate, the candidate that is going to bring decency back into your life and back into the White House, which I think appealed to people like me, if you're maybe politically apathetic or in the middle, or even maybe if you're a little bit politically conservative, but you're just tired of Trump being bombastic. And we actually saw uh, Trump actually gained among white women, but he lost among white men. He lost a few percentage points among evangelicals, certainly among mainline Protestants, which are liberal in general. And so when you look at where Trump lost and where Trump gained, you you see a pretty clear parallel Uh, between that and the focus of Joe Biden's campaign. Joe Biden won the demographics that they worked really hard to get, which were white Christians. Mm. Uh, They didn't win those completely. Trump still had most evangelicals in the bag. So that's another reason to me why it's not that it's not unbelievable to me that Joe Biden won by the margin that he did. Yeah, I think I look, I I think that's really reasonable. Right. And I think uh, you look a lot of people hammer the polls that polls get beatings no matter what happens, I think. Uh, you know, I, I like looking at polls. It does not give you an exact result, but it gives you a general sense. And, you know, I looked through the, you know, we did a prediction on my show, Studios America, on, uh, you know, a couple of days before election night. And we came up with 306 electoral votes for uh, Joe Biden, which is what he's 
what he has right now, unless something changes. Um, it, it's not. It was not out of the realm of possibilities of what what what, what could happen there. I think you know. Part of the reason, and I, I talked to my wife, Lisa, about this, and she's a really big Trump supporter and, and, and was really surprised by that it could even be close, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, we're yeah. in Texas and, you know, it's a, it's a pretty red area. I think, though, to the, to the average person, you know, the, the country as a whole was never meant to be this focused on the president, mm-hmm. right? Like, this is America. We're, we don't have a king. We, we left the whole British thing because we didn't like the king situation. And, and that's not to say that Trump, you know, ruled as a king at all, but he was in, he's been more involved in our daily lives than any other political figure, probably in our memory. Right. And part of that is because the media is totally unfair to him. So commonly, everything he says turns into a massive news story. And that is not Donald Trump's fault. On the other hand, he also really likes being, the center of attention and yeah. he likes inserting himself into a lot of these things so there's a there's a there's a just like we're tired of like covid restrictions and we're tired of these things that invade our lives all the time donald trump is a huge part of our life he, he creates a lot of uh, uh, a lot of anger uh, from the left um a lot of passion on the right you know i my you know, my wife has broken off long-term friendships over this you know this is this has been We've become a very political society where it's it's become a real part of our lives. And I think a lot of times, and I know you talk about this on the show, uh, it overwhelms even things that are supposed to be more important, like yeah. faith, like principles. Um, so I think there was a pushback on that. And if you think about Donald Trump's coalition from 2016, it included a lot of Democrats, right? He was able to win over a lot of Democrats in 2016 that were not inherently republican voters he won people who would not normally vote for republicans so when hillary went away and you know trump had four years of 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 some things he did i think really well but there was a lot of chaos in that period a lot of those democrats who last time were like you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna this one time in my life i'm gonna vote for a republican and plus they didn't like hillary and they hated hillary yeah they didn't hate biden yeah you know they didn't feel that way about maybe they didn't love biden right but they also didn't hate Biden. Like people are like, I can't believe 80 million people could have voted for Joe Biden. Right. Nobody voted for Joe Biden. They yeah. all just voted against Trump. Yeah. This was a one person election and there was a lot of passion against Trump. I mean, they were lighting cities on fire. Uh, we remember this uh, about this type of thing. So it's it, it is it's it's tough to kind of settle with here because I think it's 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 hard to imagine that people want that sort of AOC, Ilan Omar world. I don't think they do. You know, right. but they also kind of push back against some of these chaotic elements. And I think that's how we kind of got to where we are. And I think they don't realize and Joe Biden's campaign did a make sh- did a good job of making sure of this, that they don't realize that even with a Biden presidency, that is probably what they're going to get in a lot of ways, probably not going to be as quick or as radical or as quickly radical as, say, a Bernie Sanders presidency would be. But you're going to have a lot of far left progressives making moves within the Biden administration and not to be a conspiracy theorist, but it seems to me that the DNC knew exactly what you just said, that this is going to be a one-person election and all we have to do is put up basically a cardboard cutout of a person, (laughs) as boring as possible, because we got to get some of those moderate people. We got to get some of those moderate Democrats back. We got to get... We got to get those people who might be conservative, but just want normalcy. So they knew they could not put Bernie Sanders up against him. And isn't it rare for someone? I think Joe Biden came fourth in the Iowa caucus. Is that correct? Uh, 
yeah, I'm trying to remember. He didn't do well in the primaries no, for a no. long time. And the everyone first, was like, wow. He so went Joe, to South Carolina. Yeah, Joe Biden's, he, he's not going to win. And then all of a sudden he was the nominee. And amidst COVID confusion, it was like there wasn't even like a DNC. It was just like, oh, okay. <laughs> no more elections. Yeah. No more and, elections. And we thought, that, we thought yeah. that Bernie Sanders was doing well. So I don't want to say that the primaries were rigged against Bernie Sanders. But it certainly seems like there was an intention by the Democratic Party to do exactly what you just said, to say, look, we just need as boring of a guy as possible. Yeah. And Joe Biden, <laughs> so true. Joe Biden is that, don't you think? Yes. I mean, they like they got Joe Biden as the nominee. I mean, and there was, some, I think, a bunch of reasons for that. I think there is enough uh, awareness among Democrats that Bernie Sanders is not what america wants right now right now they want that eventually yeah uh, but i just don't think they think america is ready to elect bernie sanders as president um so they got joe biden and their treatment after that point was exactly what they should have done if you are a strategist for the democrats what you want to say is make people forget anyone is running for president right now yeah. other than donald trump yeah. make this into a situation where people walk in and say do you want donald trump or not yeah that's what they wanted and the way they achieved that was by hiding Joe Biden for six months. Yeah. And they look, they had the, the perfect excuse with COVID. He can't go outside. I'm sorry. Can't do any rallies. Can't go on television. Why can't he go on television from his house? I don't yeah. understand. But you realize every time he was making speeches, he was messing up and he was hurting himself. They just did what they could. They called a lid every day at 11 o'clock and didn't let anyone see Joe. And it's like the best Joe Biden is the one you forget exists exactly. is really their, their p- pattern. And it was a probably a smart strategy in the end. You know, Trump, uh, we saw that in the first debate with Trump, where he was trying to be aggressive, 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 aggressive. And what America needed to see was, hey, there's this other guy that you should not be sure about, yeah. you know? And I think you saw him improve that strategy in the second debate, but it may have been a little too late. And Democrats capitalized on the chaos that is already going on, the instability that we all feel from covid whether you're someone who takes it seriously or not your life has been upended probably in one way or another at least been interfered with mm-hmm. by the bureaucrats making the regulations um allegedly due to covid and people really longed and still long for normalcy and stability and i think that joe biden even though you and i know that he isn't really the representation of that. He presented himself as that. And Joe Biden or and Donald Trump, I think, in that first debate, thought that people wanted the opposite of Joe Biden in the sense that they wanted someone who's going to be aggressive and loud and boisterous. And I think most Americans were like, dude, I'm tired. I'm tired. Yeah. Like a lot of people felt like Joe Biden did. Like, I feel like I can't even put, you know, sentences <laughs> together either. And so, um, Yeah, I think that maybe Trump miscalculated that. But to your your wife's point, to to Lisa's point about being surprised that that this happened. I mean, to be fair, there is reason for people to be skeptical about the election, even if it's just a feeling that they have based on things that Democrats have done and said. I mean, you alluded to this. They have done absolutely everything possible to try to discredit Donald Trump, even mm-hmm. when he does something well. They He has laid or the media has laid every single covid death at his feet yeah, and ridiculous. hasn't, you know, criticize Governor Cuomo or anyone else like that. Everything that he says becomes a scandal. The Pennsylvania AG before the election said if every vote is counted, Donald Trump is going to to lose our state. Yeah. I mean, we In saw advance. that they would 
do a Russian collusion. They would do impeachment. We saw what they did with Kavanaugh. They are willing to go to any length whatsoever to win. And so for some people, they're like, well, why? Like, what exactly is the moral standard that that would stop Democrats from cheating? You know? <laughs> Absolutely none. And so I think a lot of people are thinking of it that way. And then also they see the Biden rallies that had like two people in their cars, like waving their oh, flag yeah. from a distance. And they see Donald Trump with thousands and thousands of people. And so, you know, there is a reason for people to be skeptical about this stuff. Oh, it feels weird. I mean, I, you know, one of the things um, I think that's interesting about this election, and I don't think I can ever remember seeing it in my lifetime, is there's always been a situation where the enthusiasm meant something, right? Enthusiasm was always a meaningful thing. You'd look at Barack Obama in 2008, Right. Barack Obama in 2008 is out there. He's got these huge crowds. They're absolutely going crazy. And it meant something. It meant something towards the result. 2016, Donald Trump, his polls, he was a little bit behind in the polls. Right. But people felt it. Right? You watched the rallies. You saw people going crazy. Yeah. And, and so we, we apply that sort of previous knowledge to this current situation. I think the thing that's a little different here, and I think what we kind of forget is one, uh, there was part of that that was a strategy by Democrats, right? They like they could, they could go pay a bunch of people to come and act excited at their rallies if they really wanted a lot of people. Um, they were trying to be the adults in the room about COVID, right? right. So they they were in, and that was their excuse. The the real thing was they didn't want Joe Biden in front of people. But the bottom but the bottom line is they intentionally kind of avoided the rallies. That's not to say that they would have been anything like Trump riots rallies. They wouldn't have been. Um, they would have been sleep snorefests. Yeah. Uh, and when they tried to do it, it, they weren't particularly successful. But the passion, uh, the the enthusiasm here, the gap in enthusiasm was not between. You can't compare uh, Trump's enthusiasm to Biden. There is no comparison. But you can compare Trump's the enthusiasm for Trump against the enthusiasm against Trump. Mm, yeah, and that's a and good point. It, they really hate this guy, right? They will do anything. They sat there and lied on television about him for four straight years. Uh, they did everything they could to unseat him. They gave away all journalistic standards to try to sink this guy for four consecutive years. Um, and I think there were a lot of people who saw him as Satan himself, right? And they really did come out. I mean, you saw like the these. I, I made the joke about they were burning cities to the ground over this guy. They really were. Yeah. I mean, they were out there rioting, and 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 so much of the George Floyd stuff and all of those riots and at the time was brought back to not even police, but Donald Trump himself. Yeah. Everything was Trump's fault. So so many in our society, and we know we see them all the time on Twitter and everything else, are were maniacally crazy against this guy. They yeah. wanted him out. And so you really go back to, there were tons of people who really supported him and saw what he was trying to do as something good for the country. But, you know, look, you, you face four straight years of constant media pressure, everyone kind of saying the same thing on television. You know, not everybody's here listening to a podcast, a long-form discussion like we're doing here. A lot of people are watching, you know, the Kardashians or whatever the whatever exactly. the more updated reference is. On, on I, that. Don't I don't even know if that show's on anymore. <laughs> uh, but, like, people don't live this like maybe the people yeah. in your audience do. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they, they make, a lot of them make decisions based on kind of what their friends think and right. who they're, or who, what their peer group is thinking. And the pop culture thing, all celebrities and all that stuff, we're all saying the same thing, that Donald Trump was the worst person on earth. So I think when you 
it doesn't feel that way. And I and I and people kind of go, well, should I have questions about this election? I think that's totally understandable and, and reasonable to yeah. have those questions. And you, and you should. Like, you mm. should ask questions. Totally. And like we were both saying, I think we support the pursuit of the truth, even if it's not decisive. I want that kind of thing to be uncovered. I want us to have the highest integrity in our elections, whether Democrats win or, or whether Republicans win, just because I think that's important. And I thought at the very beginning of the Russia investigation, when we didn't know very much, I thought the same thing. I said, let's investigate. Sure, of course, then as it went on, it was like, oh, my gosh, this is a lot of taxpayer <laughs> dollars for a lot of nothing. But I, I thought the same thing. OK, my guy is getting investigated. I want to know if it's true. I want to know if the president of the United States colluded with Russia right. to become the president. And I want to know this, too. Um, it doesn't seem, though, that that kind of curiosity and desire for integrity is nonpartisan among a lot of people, though. Yeah, I don't think you're going to see any of the same questions being asked about Biden. And then there are legitimate questions to be asked about Biden. Um, and I, I'm kind of of the of the mindset of like let's look at the worst case scenario here i'm yeah. kind of i'm a very negative person um but like i look at this and i say if if let's say Sidney powell's lawsuits all come through and trump is goes back into office that's easy for us to adjust to right yeah that's cake right like okay trump's in there again we've already we've already had four years of that four more years hey our taxes are low for four more years that's going to be something i'm going to have no problem adjusting to um i don't want to let joe biden walk into office in january if he winds up uh, if this stuff doesn't pan out with no criticism with no one looking at he's just naming people to cabinet posts left and right and you know the conservative media largely is kind of just shrugging their shoulders and letting him do whatever he wants as uh as you know he marches towards washington and like I, I, I feel like we have to guard those things, or there will be no scrutiny from the mainstream media. On no. It. Um, so I don't know. That's the way I'm trying to look at it. It's like I, I, I would love everyone would love the best case scenario, but you got to plan for the worst. And we have yeah. to look at this and say, you know, they've got a week left to try to prove this, and and you know, if it's true, I want it to be out there. But yeah. we have to look at it and say, okay, well, let's focus on. Let's look at that. We're not going to be able to change that on social media. Let them do their jobs in court. They exactly. should have their right to do that. And then we'll look at the other stuff as well. And that's how I, I feel. And a lot of people have accused me and accused a lot of other people of giving up the fight, of not being a true patriot, of not supporting Donald Trump. But I kind of feel like there's nothing I can do. I support them in their pursuit of the truth and I want the truth to come out. And if it's decisive, that will come as a shock to me. That'll be amazing. I want Donald Trump to be president for four more years. Of course I do. Mm -hmm. I think policy wise, he has done a lot of good things. And when I look at the threat of China, when I look at the people that Joe Biden has named to cabinet positions, the swampiest of swampy people in oh, yeah. the entire world, I'm like, oh my gosh, do we really want John Kerry <laughs> in charge of anything? No. Um, so I, desire, I, I I want that. When I look at the threats that we are facing, I think that Donald Trump is the man for for the job. But I am not going to delude myself into thinking that that it has a high probability. And that doesn't mean that I don't support that or that I'm not a patriot. Or, or I don't think you're a patriot. I, well, I, I know that you don't. No. <laughs> I know that you don't think I'm a patriot, but I want to make sure everyone that. else knows that I am. <laughs> right. uh, let's talk quickly about Georgia. Yeah. Uh, we talked about Sidney Powell and the Dominion voting system and the accusations of widespread fraud. Now we are hearing both her and Lynn Wood. There was a rally earlier this week in Georgia saying, do not vote for Republicans in these two special election Senate races. Um, 
uh, until they guarantee, I guess, the Secretary of State in Georgia and Governor Kemp, until they guarantee that we have integrity in our voting system, you need to withhold your vote. And I've talked to people online that say, yeah, I'm going to teach Mitch McConnell and the establishment a lesson. And it blows my mind. It blows my mind. What do you think about that? Yeah, because I mean, I think the lesson that will be taught will be to us. Uh, because if if we if these you know even if it's, it's completely because of corruption, right? If if uh, you know Joe Biden is president and these two seats go to uh, the Democrats, they will have complete control of the government and they will be able to do all the extreme things that we worried about from the very beginning. I think a lot of Republicans have come to this idea, oh, well, the election went better than we thought in the House and in the Senate, um, not necessarily in the presidential race, but at least there's going to be some way of stopping all the crazy, all the AOC from popping out in everybody's mind. Um, and the Democrats have gone to great lengths to try to convince Republicans of this. For example, Joe Manchin has been on television every two days, who's probably the most uh, moderate of the Democrats uh, from West Virginia, saying, I won't let any of this happen. I'll tell you right now. I'll vote against it. I will say, if they try to get end the filibuster or pack the court or any of these things, I'm going to be the standing up against it. I, these darn Democrats. And then AOC posts a picture of her frowning at Manchin. This is theater. It is theater designed to convince people in Georgia that could go either way that it's okay if you give Democrats control of the entire Senate because they won't do all these crazy things. Joe Manchin will be there for you. Here's the truth. Joe Manchin will not be there for you. When no. they need his vote, he will vote with the Democrats. When there's plenty of clearance and it doesn't really matter how he votes, he'll throw some votes to Republicans so he can seem like he's moderate. But we've seen this you know, with with all sorts of different uh, uh, different votes over the years. When they've needed his vote, he's always there for them. And Republicans should be t should legitimately be terrified of what happens if uh, if they don't get both of these seats, and to a, an extent as well. Even if they do get these seats, who are you? Who are you uh, depending on? Lisa Murkowski, Susan Collins, Mitt Romney. These are not people who you could depend on voting for conservative policies here. No. If 52, and it's a very Jello-like 52. Yeah. If you win both of them, um, Lynn Wood, who is the you know the guy making this case at the rally you're talking about, is a guy who has voted for, campaigned for. And donated to Democrats his entire life. Specifically, the candidate that ran against Purdue last time. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. And and when Obama could have had a supermajority, he was there to to donate to Democrats. Uh, Purdue's opponent, he voted in the Stacey Abrams primary. Well, you know, people who support Donald Trump generally didn't vote in the Stacey Abrams primary in Georgia. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's awfully convenient that Joe Manchin can come out and say, oh, I'm on the Republican side this one time. It's awfully convenient that this lifelong Democrat is out there advising Republicans not to vote for Republicans. Yeah. You know, we have to, again, I'm a worst case scenario guy here. We have to have some way of stopping the worst impulses of the Democratic Party. Yeah. If Joe Biden is president, if there's a Democratic Senate and a Democratic House, they're going to be able to do whatever they want. And... <laughs> It's not Mitch McConnell who's going to learn a lesson there. He's going to have his nice job, and he's going to make all this money. He he's going to have plenty care. of influence to go to all of his dinner parties anyway. <laughs> yeah. Right? It's us. We're it's the us. ones that are going to feel We're that. We're the ones that are having our first and second 
amendment rights threatened, parental rights threatened when you're looking at something like the Equality Act, that stuff. I mean, AOC has already said, look, I don't want to lose because I don't want to compromise. I get it. At, from As a Republican, I feel the same way. Mm-hmm. I don't want to compromise with you guys, with the radicals at least, uh, uh, either. And so I want to win. But you're hearing the farthest left wing of the party saying, look, I'm not looking to compromise. Mm. She's posting things about Joe Manchin like, you know, you better... You better watch out. And so they're not looking to compromise. They're not interested in in moderating to the, you know, 70 plus million people that uh, voted for Donald Trump. And when you look at the Georgia Senate races, it's Republicans fault, by the way, that a Republican didn't beat Warnock. If you look at Doug Mm -hmm. Collins plus Leffler, they got 600,000 more votes than Warnock did. Mm -hmm. But because they had the election the way that they did, you know, there, there, there wasn't obviously enough. We knew that was going to go to, uh, to a special election. But right now, Leffler is down. You said before we started this episode, seven points. Yeah, new poll has Leffler down seven points and has Purdue down two points. Now, look, it's a poll. We all know the <laughs> polls are not always. It's one poll, and they're not always accurate. We know that. But there is real reason to be scared. I keep coming back to this imagery where, like, you're standing on the edge of a cliff. And you're balancing yourself on one foot. And Republicans are just convincing themselves, ah, the wind will probably come and blow us back onto land. But wait, what if it blows the other way? Yeah. I mean, this is a close election either way. We've seen multiple close elections here. This is a national election. They're pouring a quarter of a billion dollars into these races. Um, Democrats want them. And there's a reason they want them. It's not because they want to get some moderate changes through. They want them because they see an opportunity to do real damage to uh, the things that Republicans, conservatives hold dear. Yep. And uh, it, it, look, I mean, I'm not in Georgia. I'm not going to be voting in Georgia. But if I were, I would I would be uh, I would I would not let a, a lifelong Democrat or another lifelong Democrat talk me out of voting for Republicans here. Right. And I do actually think that Kemp and the secretary of state and the two Republican Senate candidates, Senate candidates have uh, have supported the the fight there and have said, yeah, we want election integrity. We're going to do everything we can to make sure that this election um, is is conducted in a way that is honorable and honest. So a lot of people are saying, well, the Georgia officials aren't doing anything. I actually think that they are doing something. And to the people who are saying, well, what's the point of voting if we cheat? We're just going to lose anyway. Well, one way to guarantee that you lose <laughs> is not voting. Like right. that's a really good way to guarantee that you lose. Yes, it, it is very, that will definitely be, I, I promise you, you will lose if no one votes. If no one votes, You yeah. got to do it. And it is, sometimes I think you get down these roads where you want to send messages, you want to punish these officials. I mean, the Secretary of State has taken a beating in in, in, in uh, Georgia as well as the governor. I mean, Leffler and, uh, and Purdue have called for him to step down the Secretary of State over all of this. I don't know what else they're, they're, they're going to honestly do um, here. But the truth is, this is, it's like when, you're, when your outcome aligns exactly with Nancy Pelosi and what she wants and what AOC and what she wants, you're probably on the wrong side as a conservative. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think, I think this, we, gotta let, we can't let people who have, God only knows what their actual intent is. I will say, like, there's a lot of money flowing around to some of these attorneys from outside groups. I would not be surprised if we find a lot of the funding uh, from this coming from left-wing groups, not right-wing groups in some of these lawsuits. Because, you know, right now we're at a situation where, uh, you know, when the outcome is that, when you have thousands of Trump fans cheering for a democratic control of government, 
which is what was the, being encouraged there, you have to, their question marks have to pop up in your mind. Yeah. Right? You got to vote your conscience and what you believe is right. If you think these people are really that terrible, you got to vote the way you want to vote. But don't, don't let the Democrats talk you into doing it. Yeah. And I, I don't have time to, to play the clips that I wanted to play, but there are a lot of hearings that are going on. Hearings in Pennsylvania and Arizona in Michigan, where people are, uh, they're purporting, you know, various evidences of of fraud, like a spike in Biden votes in Pennsylvania. Mathematician Robert Pinion says that he wouldn't certify the Arizona election based on what he has seen. That's what he said in an Arizona hearing, in a Michigan hearing, a poll watcher claims that she couldn't see any ballots and wasn't allowed to get closer. And I think seeing some of these hearings come out, a lot of people are hopeful that okay maybe maybe change is a coming donald trump he released a 45 minute video <laughs> saying look i i need your support so i guess my question is what's your prediction in in all of this what's your message to people that are still clinging to hope that things could turn around for trump hope for the best but prepare for the worst i think the the it's the percentage chance of this succeeding is low um, the reason is because, look, you're in a system uh, that, if the fraud is true, is likely to rule against you, right? I, it's hard to imagine it goes an, a, another way than that. So, I mean, I think, you know, I think preparing for the worst is, is, is a rational thing to do. You know, I think there's a lot of stuff. You remember, there's two roads here. There's a lot of stuff that goes on social media. There's a lot of videos, a lot of like, I don't understand why this line goes up this way. You know, I've been watching election results come in for years. It's my, it's a big part of my job. That happens every single election like that. Giant chunks of votes come from cities that are 95 to 5 or 90 to 10 Democrat. It's not, it's, it's not unnatural. That, that sort of stuff happens. That might be different than what they're talking about. What you can, I think sit back and take solace in a little bit, is that these attorneys say they have the evidence and they have promised us multiple times on the air they will be able to prove it in court by the deadline. So there's very little for us to do here. We can sit back and watch it all happen, try to understand it, but it's really going to be something that takes place in the courts and these attorneys, the ones that are on Donald Trump's payroll, the ones that are, are, are fighting in Georgia, are, are people who know the legal system probably better than all of us, and they say they can do it. We, all we have to do is sit back and watch and see if they can. But we can do something about the Georgia election that will at least alleviate the worst things that the outcome could present. Yeah, and guys, if, if we lose Georgia, you can't say that it was rigged. It's because people didn't go out and vote. <laughs> oh, and so, vote. yeah, please vote. It's literally the the rights of the entire nation are arresting on Georgia right now. And I think it's very short-sighted to listen to someone who has been a historic Democratic donor and not voting for the candidates, one of whom he has donated to the opponent of uh, <laughs> yeah. a, a few years ago. And so... Please vote in Georgia. There's a lot on the line. I'll be talking a lot more about that in the next month or so. As you said, really all we can do right now is is see things unfold. If something, by some miracle, by some, some unexpected turn of events, things did go in the way of Donald Trump, we are looking at the greatest meltdown from the oh left and the media that we have ever 
ever seen. I don't anticipate that, but I think I'm just going to, I would hide in a bunker for at least a year. Oh, yeah. If that happened. Yes. I just uh, can't imagine. Preparation supplies will be flying off the shelves. Yes, my <laughs> Patriot Supply. They're not a sponsor, but <laughs> you should check them out just in case. Um, okay, Stu, can you tell everyone where they can find you? Uh, yeah, please. Uh, Stu Does America. It airs here on Blaze TV. I can get it on podcast as well. There's on YouTube. Uh, if you just search for Stu, I'll be the first channel there. And, that's uh, nice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not a lot of people searching for Stu. I don't know yeah. if that's true. Uh, and uh, on Twitter, at Stu Does America. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. 